What's going on, FCS football fans? You are listening to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, where our F-bombs are not bleeped out, but we just edit them out at the end. I am David Hassigan here with These Are the Playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, good morning. Good morning, sir. How's it going? Doing just fine, man. I I didn't watch the Tonys, but trust me, folks, it's worth the watch. Whatever your political stance, it was a lot of fun last night. But we are not talking about the Tonys. We're not talking about Robert De Niro. We're not talking about anybody, including Kim Jong-un. We're talking about the Ivy League this week, the Ancient Eight. It is our preview show for Ivy Week, and this is going to be a good one. People don't respect the Ivy League, and I don't know why. They're going to learn to respect the Ivy League. Again, folks, if you want to follow any of the stuff that we cover here, go on Twitter, at the FCS kickoff, at FCS opening drive, and follow Emery at FBall Game Plan. Don't forget you can listen on iTunes and SoundCloud, search Football Game Plan in the podcast section, and subscribe and give us a five-star rating while you're there. And don't forget to go to youtube.com slash footballgameplan for all your footballgameplan.content, as well as footballgameplan.com. Again, it is Ivy Week here on the podcast, and Emery, 2017 in the Ivy League, um, with the word chaotic be uh be appropriate because because this conference just got turned on its head this that this past year in the ivy league we had columbia winning games we had yale with a bunch of sophomores and freshmen putting in some big time work harvard fell off but dartmouth was right there on the last week of the season we had five teams that could have won the title what happened in the ivy league in 2017 i you know what it was just a great thing to see because you want to see parody because for a long time it was Harvard, Princeton, right? Yeah. And um and Penn. But, you know, now you start to see we you know, we'll talk about it, but you saw teams like Columbia, you saw a youthful yet experienced Yale team step up and play big time ball. Um so you, you kinda like to see that parody because it makes the league stronger. Um, especially out of conference, I thought the Ivy League did a great job. So, mm, yeah. uh, you know, they were real good out of conference, which, again, so when people see the Ivy League on the schedule, they can't just assume that, oh, this is um, – they, they play a different brand of football. Uh, you know, we in this conference have a much better chance to win. These are legitimately good teams because yeah. one of the things that the Ivy League has over a lot of teams in the FCS – is that they have a national recruiting base. Yes. So they're able to go, you know, they're, they're able to leave the East Coast, the I-95 corridor, and go completely out to California and pull prospects, go down to Texas, pull prospects, go overseas and pull prospects, go up north to Canada and pull prospects. So they have a global recruiting base. The talent is everywhere in this world, and the Ivy League is showing you that is there, they can go get it, and that's why their teams are doing so well. And they've got boosters and not just regular boosters i mean boosters yeah i mean we (laughs) you talk about endowment i mean you're talking about yeah of the best like you talk you saw ihop uh change their name to like the b i guess it's the stupidest thing it is i mean because they're about to be international house of bankruptcy you go from pancakes (laughs) to burgers so so you built your foundation on pancakes and now you decide to go to bird which so you change everything to become red robin like what are you going to do it you your burgers on your menu if you're going to be international house of burgers better be from everywhere there there better be an elk burger from canada uh (laughs) kung pao chicken burger from you know like 
it it has to be something different because your burgers are not uh-huh. gonna compete down in down out with the you know the Shake Shacks, the Five Guys. Water burgers, the checkers, the McDonald's, the like. Why would you join that freight? No one was in the pancake lane. Anyway, getting back to football. <laughs> so I said all that to say this: the, <laughs> the Ivy League could be the international house of billions when you talk about uh, endowment. Exactly. So that's how and, they're and able the to facilities do facilities as well. Oh my god! Like you go to this, to and I love college football because of the history and tradition and. You don't get any more tradition rich than in, on these campuses of the Ivy Leagues. And, yeah. and, you know, you see buildings that were there from the 1700s or um, these these schools have been around since the, the 1600s or 1700s. And you, you feel like you're on hallowed grounds. Yeah. And, and so it's a great experience if you haven't gone to an Ivy League game. But, you know, there's a reason why there's a method to the madness – you know, when you talk about why these teams are good, both in conference and out of conference. Definitely. And you talked about the out of conference games. I mean, you just look at last year, you had Princeton taking down San Diego. Yale didn't just beat Lehigh, they demolished Lehigh. Even Brown got into the act. They beat Bryant in week one at home. So this you're you're talking about again, a team that this is a conference that is often overlooked, you know, because they aren't in the playoffs. They aren't scholarship or you know, not scholarship athletically as big as some of the others. But they can beat just about anybody. And we made the argument, you know, at the end of last year when we were talking about potential FCS bowl games. We threw all these teams into the mix, Yale and Columbia and Dartmouth, and we said they could probably be above 500 in bowl games if the FCS had them. That's how strong this conference is. Yeah, and that's what they want. You know, I want to see a, a Yale uh Temple game or something like that, you know, where you, <laughs> you know, a, a team from the Ivy League can go out there and compete with a, an FBS group of five. But we always talked about if they decide to go full scholarship and move up as a league to FBS, they yeah. could easily be a power six conference, you know, because yeah. they have the endowment. And if you're going toe to toe with, say, someone comes into your home, yeah. your son, and, you know, you got Alabama, you have Michigan State. And Princeton, how do, how do you say no to Princeton? Well, I wouldn't touch Michigan State right now. You're putting that as an option. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> no, no offense, Spartans, but uh, you're in a <laughs> you're in a bit of a bit bad light right now. I know that doesn't represent all of you. In fact, most of you, but I just got to say it. But let's talk about one of these teams, though. We talked about you. You said it was it was a patriarchy in the Ivy League for many years. It was Harvard. It was Princeton. Occasionally, Penn would show up and do some damage. Occasionally, Yale. But last year, you had two programs that really aren't used to having established success up at the top, and that was Yale and Columbia. Now, Yale, let's get into them first real quick, because this is a team that has been building and building nicely over the last five, five seasons or so. But they have gone with the power of youth. The young people win games, and they showed it at almost every position last year. Well, you have to really make that decision as a coach or that you you know okay this is the direction we're going and in. commit to it fully yeah you have to really fully. commit to it because i want to say this was two years ago i was at the columbia yale game and you know yale played a ton of freshmen i want to say they played like 13 freshmen that that evening and also throughout the season they were playing freshmen taking their lumps but you saw the freshmen had talent yeah and so last year what, what we saw was sophomores that have experience yeah game experience yep 
and you can't fake live reps in practice uh, or live you know games in practice. You know you can't fake live. And so these guys are out there battle tested. You know took their lumps as freshmen, experienced as sophomores, talented. But now you want to see what can they do as juniors, especially losing their OC in Joe Conlon, who's now the head coach at Fordham. Yeah. And and so what piece of the philosophy will he take with him and what will remain? Um, but the point is th- these guys still have talent uh, led by their quarterback, Kirk Rollins, who's outstanding. Exactly. And, and again, Rollins last year was just a sophomore Showed incredible poise, spreading the wealth. We talked about this before we came on here. He had 2,300 yards of passing. The top receiver in terms of yards, total yards, for Yale last year was Lopez Williams, and he had 594. That's less than a quarter, whereas you compare that to a Justin Watson or a Josh Wainwright or a Jesper Horstead, where they're getting close to a third of the receiving yards that the quarterbacks are dishing out. You add into that... An incredible freshman year by Zane Dudek, mm-hmm. who was out outsta- 15 touchdowns, 1,133 yards on the ground. You've got so many weapons coming back for Yale. And as you said, they are losing their OC. How does that – if I'm the guy taking over, I don't change a thing. Just copy the philosophy. It's just coming from a dis- different voice. But defensively, they were solid on that side of the ball too. They had a draft pick um, in this year's NFL draft. We'll talk about him in just a little bit. Um, but – Yale is, is turning into an all-around powerhouse, and if I'm Harvard, I'm worried about them taking over as the Ivy League powerhouse. Well, Yale also, like you said, they were good on defense. Yeah. And, and it, they do get a lot of good players returning on that side of the ball. The good part about their offense, they can run the ball. Um, Dudek, like you mentioned, leading rusher in the Ivy League, I believe, 15 rushing touchdowns, 7.1 yards a carry. Yep. Um, that's impressive. As a freshman, he was an Ivy Freshman Player of the Year. Barely beat out Charlie Volker, another freshman at Princeton who had 14 touchdowns. It's amazing how, you, again, guys getting there and hitting the field right away. Yeah. You know, again, they don't redshirt in the Ivy League. So guys are coming in ready to play. Shout out to their high school program, getting these guys ready to come in as freshmen and playing exactly. at Division One football. Plus, you also have uh, Rollins. You talked about him. Experienced guy, protects the football, able to spread the ball around. Um so you got a good running game, good quarterback play, good efficient quarterback play. The question is, yes, offensive coordinators gone, uh, how they're going to you know, replace him, and, and will they continue to be the same type of offense? Um, the play calling and situational play calling is what changes when you switch coordinators. Uh, and also there will be breaking in, breaking in some new wide receivers. So that's the other part too. And, yes, he does spread the ball around, but now you have to really get the timing down with these receivers, and that's why you have spring ball, and that's why you have summer workouts and fall camp. Exactly, and we'll be looking at all of that as well, You know, keeping an eye on things and see who, who emerges, really, as your one and two wideouts at Yale. But last year, let's, let's talk about the other big story, and it was a tremendous story, and that was the rise of the Columbia Lions, who, for the most of last year, were the best football team in the state of New York, period. From college through the pros, yeah. it was Columbia. They were better than the Jets and the Giants. They were better than Buffalo. They were better than Albany. This team, let, let's put this in perspective, folks. F- for the folks at home, Emory, from 2011 to 2016, Columbia had nine wins. Nine. Last year, they had eight in one season. This is a talk about a program that's not used to success. Columbia didn't know what the definition Well. They're an Ivy League school. They knew what the definition of the word success was, but they had never <laughs> experienced it before. Where did this come from 
from the Columbia Lions. Is this just a totally new belief? What is it? Two words. Al Bagnoli. Mm-hmm. You go back to what he did at Penn. Penn was a Ivy power. And people thought he was crazy taking this job at Columbia. Yeah. It's like, yo, yeah. Columbia, you talk about from 2011 to 2016, you can slide that scale all the way back to 19, what, 40 or something like that to 2016. I think they had, what, one winning season or something, something like, like that? that? yeah. So, yes, this was not the job. This was, if you're a young coach, this is everybody's first job. Yeah, uh, if you're a head coach, like okay, I'm gonna take the Columbia job. You Nobody know, expected a sixty-something-year-old guy to go in and a take successful sixty-something-year-old guy to uh, a Hall of Famer, a legend, <laughs> to come in and take over the Columbia Lions. And so, shout out to Al Bagnoli and also to his staff because you have to have guys that buy in. So yeah. the foundation was set with the staff in place. The school decided, you know what, it's time to get off the mat. We're in New York City. We have a huge marketing base. You know, if Princeton can be successful, if uh, Penn could be successful, you know, you talk about places in metropolitan cities. Uh, Harvard is in Boston or, you know, Cambridge, right outside of Boston. But let's call it Boston. Um, Brown, Providence. uh, uh, What's the the, Penn, Philly. So you're in Manhattan. Yeah. That's a draw. Yeah. You know, it should be. Princeton is, you know, central Jersey. Um, they got tr- they're, they're closer to Trenton than they are anywhere else. Exactly, I mean. and they were they've been a consistently good program. Um, so you're in Manhattan. That's the draw of all draws yeah. as far as recruiting, especially when just up the street Fordham has experienced a lot of success. Yeah, and exactly. on the island Wagner has experienced a lot of success. Out on Long Island, Stony Brook. So there's no reason for you not to be good. There's plenty of talent in New York City. Plenty. Bingo. And also you have the draw of New York City. And when I talked to Coach Bagnoli two years ago when I went over to Columbia, he was explaining like, yo, we have, as far as internships, yeah, all this stuff we have right at our fingertips in New York City. Exactly. And so the fact that the staff and the school decides, you know, we're going to not be the doormat. And also the recruiting. Last year, uh, two years ago, they had the top recruiting class are one of the top recruiting classes in the in the FCS. Last year's rec- recruiting class was good too. This year recruiting class is talked about being another stellar one. So, and when you look at these young guys playing ball, guys like Josh Wainwright, um, who started as a, as a true freshman as a returner, made a lot of plays, but then grew into a dynamic receiver to where he's now a junior, um, and and is one of the best in the FCS at, at both receiving and also returning. Yep. So. It's it, it starts with the philosophy. It starts with the school's backing. Um, it starts with coaches buying in and getting the players that, that want to come in and play and be a part of something unique. I, I like seeing this because, you know, I grew up in New Orleans and Tulane, which could be in, considered an Ivy League of the South. You know, if you think yeah, about – great ac- academics down there. Yeah, they were, they were part of what was supposed to be the Southern Ivy with uh, Tulane, Duke, Georgia Tech, Rice. Yeah. Um they were thinking about forming the Southern Ivy League back when Tulane was leaving the SEC. Tulane and Georgia Tech was leaving the SEC. Uh, so Tulane right there in New Orleans and te- and all the talent in the city of New Orleans. We like to call it the state of New Orleans because yeah. we like, like how Manhattan is from New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we view <laughs> New Orleans. Uh, but you had so much talent and everybody was just like bypassing like, 
now nah, I'm gonna go to LSU or I'm gonna go to Louisiana Lafayette or I'm gonna go somewhere else. Yep. Not going to Tulane. Right. Until uh, you know, Buddy Tevens got there and they didn't have success under Buddy Tevens, but you know, who's now the head coach at Dartmouth. But he put the philosophy in place that, you know what? You know, this is a good place to be because you had Mac Brown that had success at Tulane before he went off to North Carolina. Buddy Tevens came in the commercials during the time was called the Buddy System. And they was talking about, you know, coming in and playing part of being a part of Tulane. He didn't have success, but he put the he made Tulane a cool place to be. Then you had the Bowden come. Uh, uh, Tommy Bowden came in and really turned it around yeah. and had everybody going in. That's how he had the undefeated season. So it takes the philosophy to change. Yeah. Like the talent was always there. And, you know, now teams are going to Tulane. I mean, you could make a case that look at some of the quarterbacks drafted out of, two, out of Tulane. Uh, yeah. Pat Ramsey, Sean King, um, uh, uh, J.P. Lossman. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I said all that to say that Columbia went through that same transition under Bagnoli, and it wasn't just him. It was from the coaches to the school, and that's how they're getting the players to come in. Again, we talked about it earlier about them having a, a national recruiting base, uh, all the teams in the Ivy League, and that's why they've had success, and that should continue to go for the Columbia Lions in the right direction. Now, the question I have for Columbia, though, going into this season is they're going to have to make some replacements. They have Josh Wainwright coming back, who's going to be a quality receiver, as you said. He had over 1,000 yards last year as a sophomore. Phenomenal. But you lose Anders Hill, who's your, t- who's your starting quarterback. You also lose your starting running back as well in Chris Shore. So, obviously, you said it's going to be you know, big about recruitment. Are we going to see Columbia, do you think, do what Yale did a couple of years ago and you know have these freshmen and sophomores out there this season to really kind of drive home you know and lead lead the way. Yeah, I think you will. Again, Anders Hill was a good player, and, and yes, they lost their starting running back, but I think running game is easy to to manufacture. So I think they can they'll be fine there. They got young talent at receiver. Um, defensively, I you know I have some questions, especially up front. Lord Yamane, their their talented defensive tackle is gone. Um, so, you know, getting quality, consistent quarterback play is going to be key for Columbia. Uh, but the, with the way they've recruited, I'm not surprised if they don't have someone already in the fold that can make it happen. And they also bring back their uh, their top tackler as well, Ryan Gilbert from last year, who's going in, into his senior season had 95 tackles last season as as a defensive back. So that's uh, obviously going to be a help. You talked about the guys returning, though, and let's talk about the other one of the big names in this conference normally, and that's Princeton. They're getting a couple guys back um, from injury this year. Uh, Kurt Hollibut, the defensive end, but more importantly as well, John Lovett, the quarterback who I believe a couple of years ago, as you said, was one of the uh, player of the year in the Ivy. Obviously last year they had Chad Kanoff, who – I think he did a decent, decent job. Yeah, I think he's fairly. He was, he was, he was okay. Was I mean, twenty nine <laughs> touchdowns, eight interceptions. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's it, damn near seventy percent completion percentage. Just, you know. just insane. And now with the Arizona Cardinals. So, oh, and we, we obviously wish, wish him all the success in the world. There, I think he could actually make that roster. Yeah, easily. I think he could make the roster. But we have John Lovett. We have Hollowell coming back. And again, Princeton is one of these teams that you look at the Ivy League every year and you say, okay, where's Princeton? Like, how many wins are they going to finish with? They're going to finish in the top three, but how many wins are they going to have? How do these guys coming back to an already really dangerous lineup, which includes a Jesper Horstead, what does that do for this Princeton program? Are they back in, in title contention this year? Absolutely, man. Love it. <laughs> I really like watching that dude play, man. You know, and he they came about on the scene with – um, 
with the way their offense goes. Coach Perry, who's now the head coach at Bryant, uh, was the OC at Princeton. And I, when I went up to Bryant this past uh, spring, to uh, during the season actually, when I went up to Bryant, right. and um, talked with him about how he runs his offense, and, and he said something that just stuck with me since that day. He was like, listen, I want to put my best 11 on the field. And if that includes three quarterbacks, then all three quarterbacks will be on the field in my best eleven, and which is which was phenomenal because that explains why we used to see Lovett and Canoff on the field at the same time, and that's another reason why last year I think a lot of people were surprised at how good Chad Canoff was uh, as a passer because yeah during his time there he had to split time with Lovett because they were constantly you know rotating quarterbacks and right. the, you know unique offense that was phenomenal that was putting up a lot of yards and points so. We saw Can we saw Kanoff grow as a as a passer playing that role, and love it. I you know he's like the FCS version of Tim Tebow. You talk about yeah. 2016, ten touchdown passes, only two interceptions. Yeah, he only threw for you know just under 600 yards, but 66 uh, percent completion percentage. I think he's still growing as a passer, but right. his damage is done on the ground. Um, 4.2 yards a carry, 20 rushing touchdowns. <laughs> That's Herschel Walker-like, you know, as far as, yeah. like, production. Yeah. So you have a guy that's 6'3", 225, coming back, uh, is going to be a senior. Can he get that that, uh, that – can he grow in the right direction as far as passing is concerned and really become a true dual threat, or will they still utilize him in a, in a sort of an H-back role? Yeah. Um, but I just love the way he plays football. I think he, he's going to be on the field. Whether they use a, a platoon system at quarterback or let him be the guy fully – uh, you know, either way, he's going to put the ball in the end zone. It's going to be interesting to see what philosophy they go with at at Princeton this year offensively. Because again, you do have a Jesper Horstead, who was the top receiving uh, receiver in in terms of yards. He had 14 touchdowns as well, which was tied. He's six four. He's a pro prospect. He's a pro prospect. You had a freshman in Charlie Volker who had 14 touchdowns in just nine games. So you add a guy like Lovett back to the mix. That's a big, big deal. Yeah. Here's the thing. Volker is back, and when you have a mobile quarterback, that only helps Volker because you can't really key on Lovett because uh, he could take off and run. So you, Volker is going to have some opportunities to rip off yards and chunks. You mentioned him <laughs> scoring 14 touchdowns. You mentioned Horstead scoring 14 touchdowns. Yep. His compadre, uh, Stephen Carlson, another 6'4 wide out, 11 touchdowns. So you got these big, tall trees on a perimeter. Yep. Now you add a mobile quarterback and Lovett. Uh, and a guy in Volker that's coming back that that can. Uh, Where do you look on defense? Where it, do you look? It's gonna be so hard to stop, man. They, and Princeton has a really good tight end as well too, in uh, Tiger Besh. So I think this offense is gonna be offensive line is gonna be a question. It's gonna but be scary. With Coach Serace, who's a former Princeton offensive lineman, block for Jason Garrett, who's now the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys. Yep. If there's any position he knows best. Is the offensive line. So, yes. yes, it may be a preseason question, but by, by the time they kick this thing off, offensive line is going to be a strength. This is a dangerous offense. It's a dangerous offense. And I, now, the, I think the other guy, we talked about Holobo really quickly here. The Princeton defense is what really undid them last year. They could not really finish off games on the defensive side of the ball. They could score for days. Right. But defensively, they weren't very strong. They were near the bottom in red zone defense, which is what we're not used to seeing. So a guy like Holloba, what kind of effect do you think that he has 
coming off the end um, to help this Princeton defense. Is that what they need, that kind of leadership, do you think? Yeah. Listen, I was at the Lafayette-Princeton game last year, right? Yeah. And he was all over the field. He is like a big ball of chaos. <laughs> yes. Like he is – I thought I, – I did not know he was – injured for the rest of the season to where he was going to come back. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was going off to the NFL. Um, Grading him as a, as a prospect and all that stuff. Then I find out he's coming back. Um, and that's a huge addition yeah. for Princeton because at 6'4", 265, with his ability to bend on the corner and win with his hands, and he's a pass rusher. He plays the run. He's super aggressive. I like that, but he's going to have to tone that down a little bit in games yeah. um, because that's going to draw a lot of personal foul penalties which happened in that Lafayette game yep. so I think this is a big addition coming back almost as big as Larry Allen coming back for Harvard Larry Allen Jr. That's true that's, that could be another, that's another name to watch but I think with Hullabout you talk about the Princeton defense they allowed 82% in the red zone last year which mm-hmm. was tied for fifth but I think I'm looking at third down as well they were dead last opponents got a th- first down on third down 48% of the time wow that is, compare that to Yale, which was at 29.9, that wins you a ball game. That wins you a title. So any defensive help that they, Princeton can get, as well as a high-octane offense, Princeton is going to be right there in the mix um, for this game. And now we've talked about several programs already. We've talked about Yale. We've talked about Columbia. We've talked about Princeton. This, this conference in general, I think, gets underrated. I think it's underrated and undervalued with how strong and how deep this conference is. You know, you'd have a team, you know, maybe Brown. Brown is, you know, is usually now near the bottom. They're not, you know, not having a great stretch right now. Cornell's a little bit on the downside. But as I said, going into the last week of last season, you had five different teams that could have won the championship on the final weekend. And that's not because they're weak. That's because they're all beating up on each other. And we talked about it a little bit. We talked about it with recruiting. You had two draft picks out of the Ivy League last year. What makes the Ivy League this strong of a conference, and why should it be taken seriously despite not being in the playoffs and not being part of scholarship football? Coaching, number one. Yeah. Um, because they are also a lot of guys that they're innovators. We talk about Buddy Tevens and the budget system down at Tulane, but he's also the one that spearheaded the we don't tackle anymore uh, you know, to, in practice. And people saw how good his teams were the last two seasons at Dartmouth, winning Ivy title, I want to say, two years ago. Um, with Dalen Williams, outstanding quarterback. They had Jack Hennigan last year um, that is now with the 49ers. Yep. Uh, so, and his teams were good defensively. And uh, so I think because of the coaching, because they think outside the box, and, and they're able to – there's no pressure. I don't want to say there's no pressure – because there's always pressure at a college football program, especially a Division One program. But I feel like the coaches in the Ivy League can can coach yeah. without the pressures of you better win or you're going to lose your job or having constant que- questions only, of only eight wins get out exactly right? only eight only like what are you doing and or having to answer these questions from reporters of oh are you on the hot seat what are you, you know are you going to win this game what happens if so they can really just go out there coach develop recruit and that's the re- that's number one and number two players with the advent of uh streaming devices um 
you know, growing up, there was only maybe like six or seven teams that you saw on TV. Right. You had the Notre Dame, uh, Florida State, Miami, the West Coast game, which was probably um, UCLA. UCLA. USC wasn't good at the time, um, but you, it was mostly UCLA. And and then you saw now what everyone is able to be on ESPN Plus, ESPN Three. Hell, the Ivy League had the Ivy Digital Network. So kids are now making more informed choices and smart choices are when they're or where they're going to school. Like if they're in a, I think they're in the right mindset. Yeah. Now uh, I remember when I was in high school getting recruited, I got recruited by Columbia, and I was like, Nah, I'm not why? doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why? Like, no, I'm not going. I wasn't thinking forty years. Yeah. Now I was like, <laughs> it's like, yo, I should have gone, right? Yeah. But I think uh, the reason that that's part two, like the kids are making good decisions, so they're getting really good players. You just touched on it. Um, two draft picks last year: uh, Justin Watson with the Bucks, uh, Foyer Lewkin with the Falcons. Uh, we talked about Canoff with the Cardinals. Matt Opplinger, who was the Defensive Player of the Year, four-year Oluwakin's teammate, is also with the Cardinals. Yep. Um, so there's pro talent. Alec Torgerson, I think, is now with the Detroit Lions, uh, Penn's quarterback. So there's talent that's getting developed, that's now getting drafted, and they're doing all of this without scholarships, but they're also doing great things with um, – you know, the the way they're coaching these guys and making these guys ready to play. So now you have all of that working for you in the league. So now when you go out of conference, you're going win games against conferences that are armed with scholarship players. You're winning those games. You're yeah. dominating those games. So a lot of it is is the coaching and it's the players that they're, they're able to recruit. The coaching without pressure and the players are able to develop. And that we just talked about Yale playing a lot of freshmen and that freshman team turned sophomore wins the Ivy title, you know, last yeah. year. So that's the I think that's what makes this thing strong. And plus, when you start winning, your confidence rises. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll we'll come out to Cal Poly and play a game. Yeah. You know, we'll fly out there, we'll fly out to San Diego. Yeah, we'll go down to Texas or Florida or something like that and yeah, play. Sure. Why not? So hey, that's what you got. I mean, and you talked about it too. I mean, first of all, I gotta give a shout out to my to uh, Tim Murphy, went to my alma mater, Springfield College, Hartford coach, who's been there for 25 years and is a legend for the Crimson. Springfield and Miami of Ohio, like the cradle of coaches. Do your research, people. Do your research, and you'll be very, very surprised what a small little school with 2,300 enrollment can do for your coaching staff. Hire us today. Ding. There we go. <laughs> we, got the, we, got the, we got the PSA going in there. And also parents are making um, our help. We, like Larry Allen Jr., Oh, the yeah. third, I'm sorry. The third, yeah. His dad is the Larry Allen. You yes, know. that Larry Allen. And so his son, <laughs> you know, his son probably could have gone anywhere. With the talent that he has, he could have easily gone SEC somewhere. So Easily. Right. And so now when you got a parent that's, like, thinking for you and uh, helping assist you with your thinking, like, yes. not four years but 40 years, no, son, go to Harvard. Yeah. And, and that's also what you're seeing now. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's only going to continue as well, as you talked about with the digital age and people becoming more aware of what the Ivy League has to offer, not just because it's always been the academics. But when you look at what these teams can do on the football field, you can say, oh, yeah, okay. And you talk about there have been guys that have been drafted throughout history as well that have gone on to the NFL from these colleges, Yale and Harvard especially. You talk about some, you know, some powerhouse players going back to the beginning of the NFL. 
So this is, it's only just coming to light now, but these are teams that if you go there, don't think that being drafted is out of the realm of possibility and going to the NFL and having a successful career because it is there. You, the only bonus you're getting is you're getting an Ivy League education that you can use after your career is over. The career can still be made, so don't count it out. Folks, we're going to take a quick break here on the Ivy League preview show here on the FCS Opening Drive podcast. When we come back, we will be talking about some of the big games that we're looking out for on the schedule. There are plenty of them. We'll talk about um, some of the hot takes that we might have. Do we, do we have hot takes? I have a bunch of hot takes. Okay, I'm going to leave it to you this time because my hot takes got me in trouble last week, apparently. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave those to you. But... Um, and we'll talk, we'll talk about this too. What could I, I, I'm gonna go, we're gonna get into some hypotheticals too. I want to talk some hypotheticals with you, Emery, too, and uh, talk about let's do that. the Ivy League and shall we say postseason play? Hey, you know that's always a good topic. It's always a good topic. Coaches want it, so we will talk about that when we come back again, folks. This is the Ivy League special kicking off Ivy League week here at Football Game Plan. We'll be back after this commercial break. So you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 19. 1964. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit Go. CSB.com. Welcome back to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. This is David Hassagan with the Czar of the Playbook, Emery Hunt, doing our Ivy League preview, kicking off Ivy League week here on Football Game Plan. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at the FCS Kickoff, at FCS Opening Drive, and at FBall Game Plan. You can listen to this anytime on iTunes or SoundCloud. Search Football Game Plan in the podcast section. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating while you're there. And don't forget to go to YouTube.com slash Football Game Plan for all sorts of content from all over the world of football, wherever you could possibly look for it. Emery, let's get into the big games on the schedule for the Ivy League in 2018. I can't believe we're already talking about the 2018 football season here, but such is life, and there are plenty to talk about here, but let's start at the beginning of the schedule. I want to talk about one here uh, that might be an under-the-radar game, but I think it's going to be a barometer of where two programs that aren't really talked about much are going to be, and that is Brown against Cal Poly. Now, Brown, of course, they've got the, as we said, endowments to fly out to California, but we also talked about Cal Poly a couple weeks ago. How would they recover as a program get back toward prominence? What can you expect out of this game? Are we going to get a decent barometer here with Brown going out there to see where they're at? Yeah, you, you should. And um, one thing you learn about a team uh, that plays an option opponent is how technically sound you are because you have to be in order to win. 
Uh, so we'll learn a lot about the coaching of Brown, and especially on the defense side of the ball, and we'll learn a lot about their offense. This is a good matchup for Brown, like you said, a good barometer, because Cal Poly had a down year last year. But, yeah. you know, this is a good football program um, that was in the playoffs two years ago, and they get Joe Prothero back, and their offense is going to be their offense, and defensively can they improve. So, yes, this is a chance for both teams. Cal Poly can really – put themselves back on the map and say, hey, yeah, we're back. And Brown can also say, okay, we're vastly improved uh, this year. And Coach Estes can really help uh, his cause of, of getting the Brown faithful to believe that this program is definitely going to be uh, one that's going to contend for an Ivy title. Let's move on to the second week of the season. Now, this is the week I think we're both looking forward to because, again, you got the out-of-conference schedule early for the Ivy. And there are three games that I'm looking at here on this weekend that are going to be very, very interesting. You have Dartmouth at Holy Cross, who we think are going to be re- revitalized this year in the Patriot League. You then have Penn hosting Lehigh, Princeton hosting one of the monster programs out of the Big South, Monmouth. These three games are going to be, they're all going to be intriguing to watch to see what the strength of the Ivy really is. Yeah, because last year Dartmouth-Holy Cross was a really good game. I believe Dartmouth lost that game by one or won it by one. One uh, by one in overtime. In overtime. And right. Holy Cross was ranked going into that week as well. They were number 25. Exactly. So uh, that's always going to be a good game. And the biggest one to me is the Princeton Monmouth one. That because could be interesting. I just made the case for Princeton's offense being ridiculous. Monmouth comes in defensively, no Mike Basile, the all everything safety for them. Yep. Um, their offense is going to be really good. Uh, you know, they have Kenji Bahar, they have the great running game. Um, Reggie White Jr., tight end play is excellent. Offensive line is going to be always good under Coach Callahan. So this is a game of – this is going to be a playoff-style game. Yeah. Um, talent on both sides, this is going to be a phenomenal contest. And then for those of you who want to get to basketball scores before the basketball season starts, we have Lehigh Penn on offer. <laughs> does this game – how long does this game last – Number one. And two, do we eclipse 100 points total in this one? Because I think it's possible between these two offenses. Full disclosure, last year I was at Lehigh Penn. Yep. And it was 65-47. I was at that game. <laughs> and Penn nearly set the, the record for rushing. I want to say, by the matter of fact, they had that tailback returning. He ran for damn near 300 yards that day. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, it seemed like it, to go over the 300-yard mark, he broke, I want to say, like a 55 yarder but they called it back for holding so <sighs> refs and if you're lehigh you got brad mace who's one of the best quarterbacks uh in the fcs you have don bragg alone one of the best running backs in the fcs they lose gatlin casey to a grad transfer he's going to middle tennessee um but they don't have troy pelletier they lose so they're breaking in some receivers penn still has the ability to run the ball penn has a really good offensive line Penn also has a situation where they're going to be um, trying to find a replacement for Justin Watson. Yep. So, so, yes, this game can get into the high 50s on both sides. Watch. Now that now that I've said it, it'll end up like 10-7. A defensive slugfest. <laughs> is this, gonna be, this game is probably going to be at Penn this year, right? Yeah, this game is at Penn. Okay. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. One of the games in September I want to take a look at, and that is because um, we want to we talk about all teams equally here. Let's talk about Cornell, the Big Red. Uh, they're going to be home at in uh, in Ithaca, New York, a beautiful place, by the way. If you haven't gone up there, go up there in the fall. It's absolutely gorgeous. They're hosting Sacred Heart. Interesting game, I think, for Cornell here. Again, a team that's going to be probably was near the bottom last year, probably going to be there again this year. 
But as we've seen last season, you can't expect anything in the Ivy League. Yeah, it, it, uh, you know, shout out to both coaches. Uh, Coach Archer does a great job at Cornell, and Coach Nofri does a phenomenal job at Sacred Heart. You know, and Sacred Heart was like a premier program in the NEC for a while. Um, yeah. So this is going to be a physical game because I know Sacred Heart is built well along both sides of the line of scrimmage. They run the ball real well. Cornell wants to air it out. Um, but they also have the ability to run the ball. Um, Dalton Banks is one of my favorite quarterbacks. I talked about him a lot last year. Yeah, um, he needs to work on keeping the ball in the hands of his own receiver. Ball security is key, but you yeah. gotta love the confidence. You gotta love the confidence. <laughs> you know, so I think that's something to watch. I just, I think this one will be one of those barometers for both teams, like we talked about with Brown and um, Cal Poly. You know, I think that's one, uh, one of these games. Just like one game I have written down is the Harvard San Diego game. Yeah, you know, San Diego too. comes out this way. Yeah, so that's, Harvard's, Harvard's probably paying for that flight. I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you never know. It's Harvard. It's Harvard. Why not come come out? I hope the fans get out and, and support. Uh, you know the the game. You know, I know Harvard genuinely does a good job with attendance, but you know, openers are kind of tough in the Ivy League. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, especially when it's an opponent like San Diego. You know, if it was a conference opponent, yeah. they probably show out, but. San Diego has the quarterback, Anthony Lawrence. They don't have Ross Dwelly, the tight end. Um, and San Diego is is the cream of the crop when you talk about pioneer football. Um, so that's a good matchup for Harvard, one that kicks off their season, I believe. Yep. And let's get into October now. And Lehigh pops up again. Again, this, this pesky little team that just uh, shows, about an out of, shows up in these uh, Northeast teams' schedules all the time. They're at Princeton, though. Now, again, another another recruiting battle because True. Lehigh has incredible academics as well. Uh, Lehigh and Lafayette, for that matter. But this is a game that's going to be a real test for both teams to see where they're going to be. I think Princeton, though, has a lot to lose in this game. If they don't pull off the win against Lehigh, I think that puts them behind the eight ball a bit. Princeton was able to get Monmouth and Lehigh at home. That's that's, that eight, that's an AD putting in work. Yeah, and you talk about <laughs> points being scored. Yeah, this one could be up this there one too. Could be, right, this one because you have all the elements for a high score in the fair. And these two teams always play really good games. Um, I've been to a Princeton-Lehigh game before at Princeton, and it's very entertaining, you yeah. know. And so this one should be more of the same. This is a really good contest in October, another barometer uh, for – a team in the Ivy League. We talked about how strong they are out of conference. Shout out to Princeton for scheduling Monmouth and Lehigh out of conference and making, you know, okay, we're going to show you why we are considered one of the best in the, in the conference, you know? And Butler. Don't forget Butler. Just saying. I mean. I'm which, a pioneer guy. I got to <laughs> which, which Butler is going to – are we going to get the same Butler we've seen the last couple of years? Or are we going to get the good Butler that we saw like a couple, let's say four years ago? First of all, they had a decent year this year, and second of all, you'll have to listen to the Pioneer League podcast to get all the hot takes. Am I am I not going to be on the Pioneer League podcast? I mean, that's up to you. Oh, <laughs> you want to talk saying. about? It, I mean, I'm just saying. Whatever. I, by the way, the last time Princeton and Lehigh did play each other was two years ago, and Lehigh won that game, 42-28 at home. Yeah, it so. was a good game, man. It, 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 again, this game is going to be a high scoring one. Yeah. So, points. All the scores. All the, all the points. All the touchdowns. Let's move to the late October now, and this is a game I want to look at, and it could be a decider for the conference. 
Yale visits New York, New York to take on Columbia. Massive game, massive implications. And massive parking problems in Inwood neighborhood. <laughs> and man. massive parking prices. <laughs> like, goodness. Uh, but, yeah, this is a good game because this could decide the Ivy title, right? Yeah. yeah if youth all versus things, youth, too. Right. All things being considered, you know, Columbia is on a, on a tear as far as recruiting is concerned. And this game happens in October. You know, by that time, it should have their offense figured out. Defensively, I probably feel as though they should be good, but they have good special teams. Oren Milstein, the kicker, is phenomenal. Yep. Wayne Wright is one of the uh, best returners and receivers in the league. It's all about the other parts of Columbia that's going to make this or break this game for them. But Yale coming in, you know, you never know which – Columbia is a team that has shown the ability to play up. You yeah. know, and But even not playing down, but playing up. Like, they're going to be up for this game. This is going to be probably one of the games that we spotlight during that week. Let's move into November now. And another game that I think could, for me, this could be a big game because you have Harvard at Penn. Now, again, Harvard did not have the year they wanted last year. They've lost a lot. Some people are predicting they're going to finish bottom half of the conference, which is almost inconceivable. I still think they have enough, though, enough fight to get back in the games. But Penn... It's another program that's kind of going to be a dark horse this year, and they have the offense potential. We've talked about that. But are they sleeping on this game last, next to the last week of the year? Is this a make or break for Penn winning the title, I think? It could be because we've seen how this plays out, how we how we, we saw it play out last year with, yeah. you know, 40% of the league still in play the last week of the season. And this is going to be more of the same um, because of, you know, right now in, what, June, we don't know – how these teams will be we kind of have an yeah. idea but things could really change once the ball gets put on the tee and kicked off uh so we'll see i'm just i, I look at this and i i look at the schedule as we talk about games and columbia's road games yeah at central connecticut state tough one playoff team at georgetown which will feature yours truly on the broadcast in the little lou cup by that, the way. that's always a fun game <laughs> The little Lou will come. Both coach, uh, both uh, coached at both programs. Um, they're at Penn, at Harvard, at Brown. All their tough games seem to be on the road. Well, that's, and they still have a home game with Dartmouth and Yale. And Princeton. So, I mean, but Columbia did it last year. And, right. then, and then again, we're talking about it. There is no easy game in the Ivy. That's the thing. There's no easy. Well, maybe Brown. But even Brown has shown that they can compete with URI. So, Governor's Cup. Who knows? Oh, by the way, it's the Lou Little Cup between Georgetown and Columbia. Yeah, that's a, a nice uh, trophy of Lou Little as well. He, he's a, if you don't know, he coached at both Georgetown and Columbia. Hence the trophy. Bingo. But let's get to the last game, and it's always the game that everybody schedules. The game. Harvard-Yale with a twist this season. They're playing the game at Fenway Pack in Boston. Harvard-Yale this year on the 17th of November. I mean, there's there's no better experience. One of the best experiences in FCS is if you go to the game. It's, it's yeah, just so you historic. you got to go. It's so historic. I mean, Fenway Park. At Fenway. The, old, the I believe, second oldest ballpark behind Wrigley Field in all of baseball in a city like Boston. With uh, a team like Harvard, football history. You, if, even if you uh, go to – even if the game was at Harvard Stadium – you go there. You go to Harvard Stadium. Yeah. Uh, you take that mile walk up to the press box. 
uh, because there's no elevators because it's, it's a historic site. So yes. They, you know, <laughs> elevators. Exactly. These things. So you walk, you, you're winded by the time you get up there. But when you when you get to Harvard Stadium, you see all the pennants across the stadium. National champion, 1916, 18, whatever national champion. Like all these national championships, right? Um, so you have Harvard that has a historic presence in college football. Um, and now you have them playing a historic game on a historic field in a historic stadium. Against a historic opponent. This is the 135th matchup. Unbelievable. Between these two squads. I mean, that's how deep this runs. Um, it's always an incredible game, even at the Yale Bowl. I mean, the Yale Bowl in itself is it's an incredible phenomenal, place right. to watch a game. It's old, but it's it, it's got so much character and so much class. But this is going to be an incredible game to watch. Um, I mean, there's nobody, no group more passionate than the people of Boston in terms of sports. If they get a decent crowd for this, it's going to be a huge home field advantage for the Harvard Crimson. Oh, absolutely. They're going to get a good crowd. massive. What's the capacity of, of Fenway Park? Fenway Park? Jeez. I mean, with all the additions, I, have no, I haven't been there in a few years. I'm not sure exactly what the uh, attendance can be, but, I mean, they're going to show up. I mean, th- these, people are, these are the people that show up on New Year's Day for an outdoor hockey game. They That's don't true. care. So it's, it's November. This is balmy for them. Yeah. They're going to go through. Before we get into our hot takes, let's just do a couple of – I want to do a couple of hypotheticals with okay. you. Okay. I'm, I'm for it. You know how I love my, you know, everybody should be in the playoffs or everybody should have at least a bowl game. There you go. Shout out to Craig Haley with the article. Did you read it? I did read it. And you know what? He got the idea from us. <laughs> Listen back to the podcast from last year at the end of the season. But Craig Haley just highlighting this is the one level of football that doesn't have it. But I want to talk about playoffs, though. Okay. I want to talk playoffs. If we had had, we figured, what, two teams made, would have made it last year, probably, let's into say, the postseason? Let's say two, yeah. Yale and Columbia. Do you think they could have gone further than UNH and Northern Iowa, the two teams that we considered kind of a questionable choice? Do you think they could have performed as well or better than those two teams with the teams they had last year? UNH kind of was a surprise. UNH played very – I will give them props. They played very well in the postseason. So – But – (laughs) <laughs> but you also, I mean, Northern Iowa made Mammoth look like they'd never played ball before. Kenzie Bahar threw all the interceptions. In their dome, though. So In their dome. Are we are we putting Yale and Columbia in and taking out yes. uh, Northern Iowa and New Hampshire? Yep. So that will put Yale versus um, Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa. No, no, you, you said taking Northern Iowa and New Hampshire out. And putting Yale and Columbia. Right, right. Yale versus Monmouth. And Columbia versus uh, who did? UNH. Who did they beat? Was it? Um, Why am I blanking on this? I, I, was, I had so much anger towards them. Central they, Connecticut. They played Central Connecticut first, right? Yeah. So it would have been Columbia versus Central Connecticut. Funny, we get to see that game. Interesting, isn't year. it? So, you know what, man? That's a good question because I, I would have a hard time seeing Columbia beating – uh, Central Connecticut. Because remember, even though Central Connecticut suspended their quarterback for the playoff game. Face palm. They were in that game against. They only lost 14 nothing. Exactly. They couldn't <laughs> score. So, so, but the defense was, for that defense was excellent for Central Connecticut. So, I, I think Columbia would have lost that game. Mm. Um, Yale versus Monmouth. Yale's defense is good. I, I, I doubt. I don't think uh, 
Yale has the had the explosive playmakers like a Doris Fountain uh, that Northern Iowa had. Right. To, you know, so I think they lose to Monmouth. Mm. So I I don't think they would have gone as far. Interesting. Interesting. So I, I think even though Columbia was good um, defensively, I, I don't think Columbia was ready yet. Okay. All right. I, I just wanted to throw I, that I, I out I want to see, like, like, man, you know, if – let's say with, with the – you have to have offense to compete in the playoffs. Yep. But, and yes, you have to have defense. But you have to have a good mix of both, which is why we hadn't seen Sam Houston State win the national championship yet. Right. You know, they got all the offense. They don't have any defense. Yeah, so, exactly. I don't think they would have gone further than those two. Okay. So I think they lose. Now, maybe those two getting in would have, let's say, put them in another bracket and put them against another opponent. But who would you, th- let's say just Yale. Yeah. Let's say Yale gets in as the Ivy champ. Sure. Who do they beat last year in the playoffs in the first round, in your opinion? If I'm Yale in the first round of the postseason – I think they beat Central Connecticut, no problem. Okay, yeah, all right. I, I can see them beat winning I that think game. They, I think they win that game handily. Um, I think they have a shot against New Hampshire just because of how fast their offense can be, True. and they are a solid all-around team. Because, again, New Hampshire did not have a great year offensively last year. If you can put up any kind of points, I think they got an abs- they got a shot there. Um, I'd even put them up against the Northern Arizona. With a chance to win it, I really do. And what what's going to be interesting, I think, this year too, for Yale especially, they've got an interesting test as well against the CAA team in Maine in the first month of the season. That's true. Again, I mean, again, you Maine, say what you will, but at the same time, it's still CAA. So that's going to be a good test for them as well. I think of how high they could possibly get um, in terms of you know talent and recruiting and that sort of thing. You think Yale could have beaten Elon? What do you think? Then I'll decide. <laughs> I <asked> you. <laughs> I, I, I don't think they could have beaten Elon. I, I think Elon would have sneak, snuck that one out, uh, especially since Elon probably would have gotten a home game um, down in the south. I think it would have been a difficult But you think, you think uh, Yale beats Furman because Furman beat Elon? I don't think they – see, Furman with that offense, though, that option style – I don't think they do, because you don't see that much in the Ivy too yeah, that often. So again, it's all about familiarity. I'd be I'd be excited to see Princeton this year because I think Princeton has playmakers. I think Princeton could be just about anybody if they had if they're on their day. That's a hot take. You want a real hot take? Give me a real hot take. I think Princeton could beat more than half of the CAA. More than half. About time you give a scorching hot take because that is a scorcher. I'm starting to sweat in here. It's I'm, so hot. I'm saying, I, I think. I mean, talk, talk to me. Do you, you think they could? They would lose to Delaware. You think they would lose to Richmond? Yes. Absolutely not. They beat both of those teams if they match up. Wow. You, oh, you talking about last year? No, this year. They beat William and Mary. They beat URI. They're going to beat Albany in any game. I think they beat Maine. I don't know, man. I, I, I see. Nova I, is questionable. Nova's questionable. I think they beat Towson. I think I think the line of scrimmage <laughs> on both sides of the ball is just too strong uh, for Princeton this year. Skill player wise, you know, when, when are they playing them? Week one or in the middle of the season? 
Because you have to give you, you got to say week one for Yale. You mean against Maine that game? Is that what you're talking about? No, we you, we're talking about Princeton. You said Princeton could beat half the teams in the CA. I, I just think they can. I, I think I think anywhere in that first month, the first four weeks of the season, you know what? Screw it. They can win any time of the year against at least I'm kind of you least said six or seven. You said wow. Six or seven teams in CAA, Princeton can beat them any day. You know, it is any given Saturday, right? I mean, we just saw Rhode Island push Central Michigan into overtime. With that offense, they can compete with anybody. That that's now you got me looking at Princeton's schedule. Did, man, they, did they play? Did they beat JMU? Absolutely not. I don't think they beat JMU. I don't think they beat Stony Brook. I don't think they beat Elon. Uh, I don't think they beat Illinois, Villanova. I see. I would give them a chance against Stony before I give them a chance against. Uh, Delaware or Richmond, like see? I'm. I'm looking at let's see, <laughs> Princeton. They got Butler, Monmouth, Columbia. All right, so we only gonna we're gonna see them against Monmouth, and Monmouth is let's say a CAA like team. Honestly, Monmouth could be in the CAA if they they they're built like one. Yeah. So that's gonna be your answer. Okay. All right. What's your hot take? What's your what are your hot takes for the? Well, my hot take is this. Ivy League. All right. Let me see. Who we talked about a lot. We talked about uh, Columbia, Princeton, Penn, Harvard. He's gearing up for one, folks. I'm, I'm, turning, gear, on, I'm, I'm, turning, on the, I'm turning on the AC. As you all turn on, it's not going to be as hot as the one you just <laughs> put out there on, on wax. Like, All right, so we saw Brown last year go 0-7 in the Ivy League, right? Okay. And If you're telling me Brown's about to win the Ivy League, I'm going to absolutely kick you out of the studio. Coach Estes has been there for 20 years, over 20 years. Okay. He is a good coach. Uh-huh. Brown, and this is going to be like a, a, a Has Hagen like take. What do you mean a Has Hagen? Go, come on now. Because Brown, I was going to say Brown is not going to finish winless in the Ivy. Ah. But that's not a hot, that's not that's hot not, enough. Yeah, that's, yeah. But I do believe Brown will be vastly improved. You know, I don't think Brown or Cornell will be the the pushovers that, that you, Dave Has Hagen, are making them out to be. I'm just saying. You like how I pushed all that smoke on your yeah, side, right? Yeah, thanks a lot. I mean, you're the one with the hot take, so I'm. I'm but just, I do, I do think Brown will be better. Well, they can't be much worse. True. Than last year, all due respect. I oh. mean, zero and seven and two and eight and overall is not great. Yeah, but they'll it's they'll be better. They'll be better. I mean, whatever you say, man. Cornell was three and seven. Anyway, folks, that'll wrap it up for the Ivy League uh, football preview show. Again, this is Ivy Week, so Emory will be coming back with. Again, there are a ton of pro prospects in this conference. Yeah. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about he'll be talking about recruiting, talking about the all conference team, and he'll have his prediction for who do you think will win the wild, wild Ivy uh that was last year. Who will take it this year? I think it's gonna come down to Yale and Penn, Yale and Princeton. I think we're gonna have a eight team tie for first. Now how that's about, a hot take. How about how about how about <laughs> all that? teams finish four all, all teams finish four three? How about or, that, right? Nobody's a winner. Everybody's a winner. <laughs> Ah, see, this is the political correctness that it's gone awry. <laughs> By the way, it should not be International House of Burgers. It should be International House of Breakfast. I thought that's what they were going to say. International House of As soon as I saw Burgers, Burgers, oh, I'm sorry. Now, what? full disclosure, have you ever had a burger at IHOP? I have not. They are phenomenal. Okay, so that okay, so they're in, they got a good start. Operating off of a tip, uh, a female <laughs> friend of mine was like, <laughs> she was like, oh, um, have you ever had the IHOP burgers? Because we were going to IHOP. I was like, why would I have a burger at, at <laughs> IHOP? You know, obviously there was a curse word. That, that, like, why would I have a burger at bleep, bleep. 
IHOP, right? And totally she was works. like, no, the burgers are good. And um, so I got a burger, and I was like, yo, this is really good. The bun is buttery. So, <laughs> but how can they build on that is the key. Like, <laughs> you just called yourself in, and we let them slide because it was an international house of pancakes, but there, there weren't any, you know, ridiculous it's not like olive garden where they do something stupid like put shrimp on top of a lasagna or chicken leg on top of a lasagna right (laughs) so if you're gonna call it international house of burgers like we said earlier there better be some a wasabi burger there like there better be you know um What's what's some what's some uh, so that, that, that what's that what's that beef from Japan the uh, Kobe beef Kobe beef burger you, uh, Kobe burger you ever eaten Ethiopian food no <laughs> they use the uh, the that, that sponge like oh uh, yeah, yeah I've, I've seen yeah, make yeah, a burger yes. out of that <laughs> like you know so yes. there's there has to be an international tie to this in order for this to work because this will be we let it slide with pancakes I hop yeah yeah like because if you're gonna separate yourself. Belgian waffles don't count. Like, imagine going from IHOP to not I-hob. being able to beat out Red Robin. IHOP. That's, That's crazy. And, and also, I want to amend my full disclosure statement that I have never had an IHOP burger. I may have, but I don't exactly remember what I ordered at 1.30 a.m. from the IHOP in West Springfield. That's the other part of IHOP. <laughs> That's so, it. Now, if you sell burgers, you also now have to sell alcohol. Is that, that would have been that would have been a nightmare for me <laughs> <laughs> because you can't have like you go to IHOP and and you're you can't have uh, a burger and orange juice a burger unless well Jim Harbaugh could have burger and milk so yeah but you can't he's have Jim Harbaugh though. yeah you got to have something uh, some adult beverage on the menu it, will they now start or do some serve beer or you know or is it BYOB or I don't know because adding the burger. And yeah, you have your McDonald's and stuff. Even those restaurants are starting to tinker with uh, alcohol. It, yeah. You know, I think the Burger King in um, or McDonald's, whether it's in Florida or in Germany or London, one of those has alcohol. And so, can I get a Big Mac with a Heineken, please? What that is? <laughs> if you get a quarter pounder in in a uh, you know a <laughs> Duval or Chimay beer, like yes, that that's a but. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how this this works out. Uh, that that is truly a hot take, though, from IHOP. Let's go IHOP and see what happens, folks. <laughs> that'll do it again for the podcast here for this week. We'll have I this week, next week, the Miak takes center stage. Minus Hampton. Minus Hampton. We we might have a little bit of a talking point about all that drama that's gone on. We'll try to get some inside sources on that one. Can A and T continue their dominance after an undefeated season where they finished number seven? In the FCS stats poll, will we see another team come back? Will we Bethune, Cookman, or Howard challenge? I got a question for you. How high do you feel as though, or do you see a team out the Ivy League being ranked in the top 25? I would say if it's, I'd say Yale at 20. That's the height? Of- I, think, I think that only gets to 20 because, again, they're not playing a big offseason schedule, but I say up to 20. Okay. But Miak, that's a different story. A&T blew everybody away. There was all sorts of talk of what, what they could have done if they were allowed in the postseason at number seven. Seven. And then DeMont winning the Celebration Bowl on top of everything else over Grambling. I mean, let's just be honest here. 
A&T could have done some damage in the postseason. We'll talk about all of that. We'll talk about the Hampton saga. We'll talk about, you know, what does Norfolk State do? Does Florida A&M come back from the depths? Um, does North Carolina Central finally win their rivalry game and take back that kind of crown? That'll all be on next week's show as we get into MEAC week. And then the week after that, it's the big one, the Missouri Valley Football Conference the MVFC. That's in two weeks' time. Next week is the MEAC. This week, it's Ivy Week, though. Emery will have all sorts of content coming out. Any final thoughts, Emery? Shout out to the Ivy League for being one of the more competitive conferences, you know, top to bottom. And I think that's going to be fun to watch. Like I said before, I'm excited to see how Princeton's offense, you know, will fare now that John Lovett is back. And not only could he be in line for the um, uh, Ivy League Player of the Year, the Bushnell Cup, Mm-hmm. but could be in line for the Walter Payton Award as well. Now, that's an interesting take. Ah, that's how you close out the show. Well played. We like competitive football, folks. Nobody wants to see everybody just go run a rough shot. We like competitiveness. Again, folks, from Emory Hunt, David Hassagan signing off. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.